Our reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 4, and that can be found on page 6 in the Church Bibles. Genesis chapter 4, reading from verse 1 to 16. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Amen. Why are you angry? That's the question that God asked Cain. I guess it's a question that um, he would have asked all of us at some stage, although we may have pretended not to hear it. It's a question we may have asked others. It's a question others may have asked us. Of course, God is sometimes described as angry, but 
the anger God was talking about when he questioned Cain was not a righteous anger at mankind's sin, but a jealous, self-centred anger. An anger that, if left unchecked, would lead to violence and even murder. The first murder committed by a human being. I've been looking at the opening chapters of Genesis in our current sermon series and uh, focusing on aspects of humanity. Well, they teach us about the way in which God made us and how we should relate to him and to, to others. Last time, Jeff preached on chapter 3 and considered sin as a denial of God's nature, God's character, as a denial of God's order of relationships and a denial of our personal responsibility. And we saw the impact of sin on the relationship between man and woman. But as we move into chapter 4 this morning, we see that sin has more, far more wide-ranging consequences, because sin is not just a personal thing. Humans live in communities, in relationship with others, and so our actions have an impact on those around us. In the famous words of John Donne, no man is an island entire of itself. What we do, or what we don't do, impacts others. One of the saddest things is to see the impact of sin on family relationships. I don't know whether you've been watching the TV documentary recently, Child of Our Time, which follows uh, the lives of 25 children born uh, in the year 2000, the Millennium Babes, and attracts them as they, as they grow up. So now, they're obviously, they're 10 years old. And apparently, of the, the 22 couples um, who gave birth to these 25 children, only nine of them are still together. And I know there are some here who have experienced the breakdown of a marriage. Some who've grown up in a home um, with one parent. There'll be others who have strained relationships with parents, with siblings, um, or with children. And whilst many of us can celebrate on this Father's Day all that our fathers mean to us or meant to us, whether they're still alive or not, there will be others who never really knew their fathers, those who are still alienated from them. The most tragic thing about sin that we see from this passage is that sin damages relationships. When we looked at chapter 2 of Genesis, we saw that man was created in the image of God. He was created as a relational being, uh, the ability to relate to God and to relate to others, to have an intimate relationship with others, whether it's in marriage, whether it's a friendship, um, whether it's in a family. It's a wonderful thing. And so when sin damages that, it's a terrible thing. Last time, when we looked at Adam and Eve, it was an unwillingness to take personal responsibility that affected their relationship. They ended up blaming each other, not admitting where they each had gone wrong. So what is it that causes the breakdown here, though, in the relationship between two brothers, between Cain and Abel? Well, we're not told how they um, got on when they were growing up, whether they used to squabble in the back of the car, whether they used to argue about whose turn it was to go on the Xbox. Not that I know any boys who would ever do that. <laughs> the first description we have of them is as grown men. Um, those who are mature and responsible for their actions. We're told there in verse 2 of chapter 4 that they had different jobs. It says, now Abel kept flocks 
and Cain worked the soil. I'm not sure we're meant to read anything into this. It's not meant to demonstrate that one is superior in any way to the other one, and that pastoral farming is somehow better than arable farming or anything like that. But the next bit does, I think, appear to be quite significant. Just read on what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now there seems to be a difference in the offerings that they each brought. Not the fact that one was an animal and the other was crops. But it seems to make a point that Cain just brought some of the fruits of the soil, not the first fruits, was Abel brought fat portions, and not just many of his flock, but from the firstborn of his flock. In other words, he was bringing the best that he could offer God. And so it says the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. It's a classic case of, of jealousy here, isn't it? Cain was angry because he has not found the favour of God, and his brother has. And it's one of the most common reasons for sibling rivalry, competing for the, the affection of parents which is why we know it as parents, so it's so important for us not to show favouritism towards our children. The recent um, tragic shootings in Cumbria when Derek Bird shot dead his twin brother David and then went on a, a killing spree, killing another 11 people, has prompted various reasons what it was that caused him to do such an awful thing. Was it, people asked, a question of brotherly jealousy? Why was it he killed his brother first? And as people start to compare the two, they see one apparently described as a, as a happy family man, um, apparently a kind and cheerful character, and the other one, a divorcee with a criminal record, with financial problems, who's just been attacked by a passenger in his taxi cab. Now, we don't know for sure, and never probably will know what the real reason was why he suddenly went on that killing spree. In the case of Cain and Abel here, we see brotherly jealousy resulted in Cain attacking his brother and killing him in a premeditated act. And jealousy may not lead you to such extreme behaviour. But then again, the family of Derek Bird never thought that he would do something like that. He never thought he was capable of such an act. It is easy to underestimate the impact of jealousy on us, how it can affect our behaviour towards many people throughout our lives as we carry baggage with us. Maybe there's a feeling that your, your parents show favouritism towards your brother or sister. Maybe it was remembering a, a, a careless remark that somebody said, saying that you're not like your brother or you're not like your sister, implying that if only you were, you were as good as them, if you achieved as much of them, if you behaved as well as them. Jealousy can be caused by hurtful comments or acts. It can also be caused by a, or made worse by a sensitivity in us that reacts to remarks that weren't meant in that way and it's a sensitivity which may feed on itself. We will all experience jealousy at some time. We will all experience envy. The question is, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Which brings us on to our next point because the cure as we read the Bible, for jealousy 
is contentment in God. Contentment in God. And the worst thing about as we read Cain's jealousy was that it was directed at God. It was because God looked with favour on Abel that made him angry and downcast. The question I've been grappling with here is what did God mean when he said to Cain after he'd asked him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He says, if you do what is right, this is verse 6 into verse 7, will you not be accepted? Now you might think, why didn't you just say to him, look, Abel was just more generous than you. You know, up you're giving a little bit and I'll look at both of you favourably. But he didn't, did he? Because I think what God is looking for is a, a real, genuine relationship here from both of them. It's not a tickle-the-box type relationship. It's not what you do externally. It's, are we content in God? Do we truly love God? Do we truly trust in him, even when things don't go our own way? Because that is a real trust. Do we trust in him in the good and the bad? As we discussed in the home group the other night, that's not to say that we can't have times of spiritual wobbles, you know, periods of doubt when we express to God that we simply don't understand why something bad has happened to us, why he would allow that to happen. We can cry out to God and he expects us to express our emotions in that way. But do we allow those doubts to turn into a bitterness against God, a rejection of him? Or do we allow him to help us through those doubts, to, to trust him that he still loves us in spite of what we perceive to be an unfairness, a disappointment, a pain? It wasn't so much the different sacrifices of Cain and Abel, it was the different attitudes that they had towards God. Let's just turn to Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, chapter, chapter 11, verse 4. <coughs> And here we have the benefit of looking from the New Testament back to the Old Testament. Page 1209 of the Church Bibles. That's what we read here, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, by faith, by faith. It's Abel's faith that commended him to God. And when God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? What he was saying was, don't worry about Abel. How is your relationship with me? If you trust in me, then you will receive more blessings than you can imagine. That is what you need to worry about. may remind you of another story in the New Testament. Let's turn to another passage in John's Gospel, chapter 21. This is after uh, Jesus has been resurrected. And he's met Peter. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times, denied that he knew Jesus. Effectively, what he was saying was that he didn't trust Jesus at that time, that this was meant to happen when he was arrested, when he was put to death. He didn't trust that Jesus was in control of everything that was happening to him. And so as Jesus here tries to reinstate Peter, three times Jesus asks him in this passage, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? 
verse 15 onwards. And when the answer comes back, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, show me that you love me. And after the third time, he says, follow me, follow me. And it's at that point, look at verse 20, that Peter turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, one we believe to be John. And it says in verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? And look what Jesus' answer is. Verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What Jesus was saying here was, don't look at others and compare yourself with them. Don't worry about how I will use them in my work. Concentrate on your own relationship with me and how I can use the gifts that I give to you. And when God is speaking to Cain, he's effectively saying the same thing. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted. Don't worry about your brother Abel. If I choose to show him more favour than you, that is up to me, he's saying. Jealousy comes from comparing ourselves with others. I'm not sure any of us, as I say, can truly say that we've not known what it is to be jealous. There will be different things that make us jealous, Maybe family relationships, as we've talked about. It may be in the workplace, as we were looking at yesterday morning in the men's discipleship group. How people can seem to be treated more fairly than than others. Can be within the church, which is the worst place, I think, for jealousy to be shown. But it does happen, doesn't it? We all know that. Ultimately, jealousy is a, a resentment against somebody else for having something that we don't have. And that turns into resentment at God for allowing that to happen. And it starts often as just a feeling, a feeling of upset, a feeling of hurt. But then the temptation is to allow that feeling to to grow, uh, to become a self-pity, to become a, a bitterness against somebody. And that can grow stronger, can fuel a desire for revenge, can lead you to say or do unkind things. And ultimately, it may make you blame God. And that is why God says here, in verse 7, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. That's a great picture, isn't it? The sin there, waiting there, waiting to pounce. You feel jealous. The devil is there, waiting to master you. But you, he says, must master him. The key point here is that we must not allow sin to master us. We must not give in to that temptation because we are responsible for that. That doesn't mean to say we won't fail from time to time. We all will. But when we do, we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with God. We need to ask for his forgiveness. We need to ask for his help that we won't give in to it again. And the problem with Cain here was that first of all, he didn't follow God's warning. God gave him a clear warning, didn't he? He didn't ask for God's help. He allowed himself to be led by the strength of his feelings towards his brother and ended up giving in to them and he ended up murdering his brother. In the same way that God called out to Adam, he said, where are you, Adam? He says here to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now, of course, he knows perfectly well where Abel is, what has happened to him, but he's given Cain a chance here to show remorse, to ask 
for forgiveness, to confess what he's done. But what Cain does, he has the audacity to deny his sin with an impertinent question. He says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? How do I know what's happened to him? And of course, in many ways, he should have been his brother's keeper, shouldn't he? He should have looked after his brother as he looked after himself. What is worse than the actual sin is the lack of remorse. And so God punishes him by driving him from the ground and he becomes a restless wanderer. A punishment that Cain says is um, more than he can bear. Mainly because it says he is afraid that someone might find him and kill him. It's interesting what God does at this point, isn't it? Look down at um, verse 15. It says there, Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. Now what was that, what was that mark? I mean, it seems to be a mark of protection, doesn't it? It does make you wonder, why would God exercise, not exercise his justice? Why would he be so gracious to Cain? We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, what it demonstrates is that whilst man has been left to suffer the consequences of sin, God is still active in restraining that sin. Let's face it, if God had left man completely to his own devices, we would be extinct a long time ago, wouldn't we? It's because God is still at work in this world that we have survived as a human race. We've seen that at work this week. If you've been following what's been going on in Kyrgyzstan, that's the right way of pronouncing it, Christians have uh, tried to help their Uzbek brothers and sisters at the risk of losing their own lives. That is the sort of thing that is still going on throughout the world. Well, that is God working through Christians to restrain sin. In this passage, we see other ways in which God exercises that, what we call, common grace. As Cain goes off, Cain still marries, he still has a family. Looking at verse 17 onwards, it says he builds a city. That has the ability to create structures in which people can live together in community. That is God's common grace. We have music here. Again, many of us enjoy music. Looks like the harp and flute get special attention here. What else is there? There's the use of tools. And it's amazing, isn't it? Humankind's inventiveness. Now, I admire people who keep coming up with these new, these new gadgets. I'm almost envious. But not quite. <laughs> I also wonder when man first started playing sports. Again, God's common grace, all these things helping to restrain sin. But of course, none of them actually prevents sin. Sin, as we read here, the end of chapter 4, does get worse. One of Cain's descendants here is Lamech. First person is recorded having committed bigamy. He also kills a young man simply um, out of a sense of revenge. A young man who's injured him, he goes out and kills him. And so we see here a fallen world that is, is beset by sin. Cain may still enjoy a reasonable life, but he's become this restless wanderer. He's hidden from God's presence, it says here. And that is a problem, isn't it, for the world today? That is a problem for people outside, all around us. They may enjoy apparently good lives, 
because of God's grace, but they're restless wanderers. If all people can think of is this life, then suddenly small things begin to upset them. They're magnified into disasters. And the prospect of an eternity of restlessness, hidden from God's presence, is is awful. What is missing is God's presence. What is missing is a relationship with God. Well, by the time we get to verse 24 of um, this chapter 4, and the talk of vengeance is, is there, we may start to become totally despondent. Still hasn't been any justice for Abel. People are getting away with murder, quite literally. But the chapter ends on a note of hope. Because in the face of this spiralling sin, God grants Eve another child. That is a child called Seth. And it's through the line of Seth that salvation will eventually come. It's uh, through the Seth that uh, comes Noah. It's through the line of Seth that comes Abraham and later David and ultimately the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. And it will be by the blood of Jesus that justice will be done for Abel and forgiveness will be achieved for everyone. Let's turn back to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. says, you, page 1211, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel, it says here, cries out from the ground. It's a blood that proves Cain's guilt. It's a blood that is crying out for justice. The blood of Jesus, on the other hand, has won forgiveness. It's the blood of mercy. It cries out that the people of the new covenant, those who put their trust in Jesus, are no longer guilty. That guilt has been removed. They've been cleansed completely from their sin. The words Jesus used in the upper room on the night before he was arrested... As he was with his disciples, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood of the covenant that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's what we're going to celebrate in a moment. That blood that was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Well, as we uh, conclude, we've seen that God had something wonderful in mind when he created man, when he created woman, when he created a family. And although we as humans have ruined it, God still has that great vision for humankind. He plans to redeem humankind from the effects of sin. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. None of us here needs to remain a restless wanderer. God longs that each one of you would come into his presence. They would find that peace and that contentment. If you are someone who's found that peace and contentment already in your life, and yet there are still things that um, have not really been dealt with. 
There's maybe still a hurt, maybe still a jealousy, maybe a bitterness from the past. God is saying, as he said here to Cain, why are you angry? He's saying, come and leave that anger at the cross. Look at what you have in Jesus, what he's done for you, and rejoice in that. Leave that bitterness there. Maybe you feel a sense of guilt from your past. Maybe you're full of regrets for some of the ways in which you have acted. Again, at the cross, in Christ, you can be forgiven. In Christ, you can find the strength to forgive others who have hurt you. This passage ends on a very positive note. As it says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. May we all be prepared to do that daily.